Welcome to Cornerstone Assembly of God's weekly sermon podcast. Thanks for joining us. You can head over to cornerstoneaog.com to find information on different ministries that we offer. Thank you for downloading. Now I think it's time we listen to this week's sermon. The best portion, our first fruits, to, yeah, get it way down there. That's it. No, that's good. Um, we want to offer God the first part of our year. Say, here it is. Because um, we want to seek his purpose, his plans, honor him, seek his heart for ourselves, for our families, for our church, for our part in our community, and our part in the worldwide evangelism and sharing the good news. So that's why we have the first part of every year dedicated to um, prayer and fasting. So today I want to share with you some simple truths about, um, and I titled the message, Praying and Fasting with Vision. Praying and Fasting with Vision. So let's open up in prayer. Father, we just honor you. We just lay this word before you, God. I believe I, I sought your heart and your word for today. God, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you'd just bathe it now in your anointing, in your presence, Lord, that it would pierce hearts, it would fall on good soil, and it would produce a harvest for your glory. Lord, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been doing a lot of studying lately on prayer, and I found one common denominator. Most Christians don't pray. And even the ones that do pray confess that they don't set a certain place or a certain time for prayer. Excuses range from a lack of time, uneducated in techniques, it's not my ministry, I actually heard that one. Or I've even heard, well, I don't really need to set aside a time of prayer. I just pray a little throughout the day. Let me ask you, when the Son of God comes to earth and sets not only a priority, a practice, a principle of getting up early to go seek his heavenly Father, don't you think he's trying to teach us something? that maybe we need to get up a little earlier, seek his heart for the day. And I have to admit, now I'm not and I will not, I don't like religion, I push it as far away from me as I can. I'm telling you to put forth your first fruit of your day. That's what Jesus did. And for him, it might not have been after the cup of coffee to wake up, but for me, it's after two or three cups of coffee to wake up. Because I've done that. I've had somebody come to me and say, Brenda, you're not even a Christian. If the first thing you don't do when you get up is get on your face before God. I tried that. I went back to sleep. <laughs> He's like, hello, are we awake? I'm like, God, I love you so much. I think I better go wake up first. But the first fruit of your day, the best part of your day, for me, the best part is after I've had some cups of coffee and I wake up. And then it's like, hello, 
now this is the best. My mind's awake. My body's awake. I'm attentive to what you want to speak to me for today, God. I'm ready to receive it. It's like some people can get up and go right to the cupboard, grab a bowl of cereal, and eat breakfast. For me, no. I got to wake up first. So to jump in the word as soon as I wake up, it just doesn't work. So again, it's not about the religion of checking it off. I'm doing this because, well, here I am. But it's about giving your first fruits. My, I don't know about you, but my arch enemy in prayer is my own mind. <laughs> I battle constantly with, uh, let's just call them wandering thoughts. I know we've all been, I see the looks on your faces. We've all been there, right? I dedicate one hour to pray. Yes, Jesus, I can pray with you one hour. Two minutes later, I'm done through my list, and then I battle 58 minutes long of just keep my mind. I'm focusing on you, God. Well, hey, there we go. Oh, I'm focusing on you, God. And then I leave the one hour feeling like a failure. Something wrong. There's something wrong. Wandering thoughts don't have to be our arch enemy. The last class I took with the Assemblies on Ministry was called The Theology of Prayer, and it was actually taught by our district superintendent, Jeff Halavin. And in that class, he shared a writing by Jack Hayford I want to read to you this morning. It's called Wandering Thoughts. I bring my scattered thoughts today, O Lord. Let them be prayers. It seems I can't do better, for my mind runs everywhere. I've started at your throne five times, I guess, and then I've wandered from pole to pole. My mind has strolled and half an hour squandered. I feel I've wasted time when I begin, then don't go heavenward. And now I sit here puzzled. Can you see me? Are you here, Lord? I've wondered if it counts if you, dear Father, know I'm trying. If wandering thoughts are ever prayer or just disqualifying. I fear at times I'm too much flesh and far too weak in spirit. Unless somehow my wandering mind translates to prayer. Lord, can you hear it? It flits from pointed praying to some thoughts about a friend. I'll see today. His problems hurt my heart. When will it end? That thought becomes a springboard to a time 10 years ago when someone else I know was here. When was that, spring or fall? Ah, fall, but now it's summertime. Just listen to those birds. This lovely morn, their singing prompts my pen. I write these words. Remember to buy dog food for the pup this afternoon. Oh, and yes, while downtown, pick up that package. Oh, see, I've zoomed. From this decade to that and from one season to another, I ended with a dog when starting prayer for one dear brother. What do you think, Lord, of this child whose mind's so awfully flabby? Of course, it's not this way always. You know, Lord, all this shabby. I have some days when worship soars and intercession presses to take the kingdom by force as faith-filled prayer possesses. Possesses promised land, you've said, will surely yield to them whose warfare strikes hell's battle lines and boldly enters in. In disease, sure victory's prize, the rescue of men's souls. And through travailing prayer, attain a dozen other goals. Yes, I've had times of power prayer, but God, 
of this season. This morning, when my wandering thoughts seem void of rhyme or reason, I sit here in this armchair, and while looking on the lawn, oh, look at the sun. It sends a crystal beam. The dews make rainbows. God, look, I'm off again. Oh, Lord, forgive my wandering So Gird up, I shout. Now every thought, I take you captive now. Become obedient unto Christ. I command my brain. Stop wandering. What was that? The cat? I must go let Fluffy in. <laughs> Good morning, kitty. Need some milk? Oh, look, the paper's there beside the porch. I'll get it quick, though I'm in my underwear. The cat is fed. The dog's outside. Now back to prayer. What's that? The headline of the paper says the president is back. But lay that paper down. Soul, you're not done with your praying. Back to my knees. I'm here, Lord. Let's see. What, what was I saying? Oh, yes. I'm here to ask you, Lord, if wandering thoughts count for you. Could you just let me know you care? I got up to be near you. I came because I love you, Lord. My poor mind notwithstanding, my heart is yours. So please, these tours of mine be understanding. And somehow in the silence, there's the neighbor's car now leaving. I think, indeed, I do. I hear a voice. Lord, I'm receiving. I do receive your comfort. Lo, I am always with you, child. I do receive your peace, Lord. Rest, although your mind runs wild. For I am still your God, and still my eye scans earth for hearts, not minds, for human intellect at best is so in part. I loathe no mind, but neither honor thoughts which have no love. And no mind pierces heaven, only hearts ascend above. So don't despair, child. Yes, this hour just passed does count with me. I also care about your pup and for your hungry kitty. Those actions may not be a prayer, but neither are they sinning. And I deem worthy service unto me your day's beginnings. I heard your heart pray for your friend, and when you saw the dew, I liked that. And though through wandering thoughts, I've strolled along with you. I don't mind simply being here. All lovers have their memories of simply setting silently to share each other's reveries. You'll gird for war another day. You'll move in bold advance against dark powers. Remember when you do, they have no chance. But on this day of wandering thoughts, be pleased to rest in me. For I'm the God of all of you since you love all of me. Wandering thoughts don't have to be your arch enemy. Prayer is simply time with God. Time with God. Plain and simple. So I want to focus the majority of my time this morning with you on my first point, which is prayer. Not that I'm inadvertently trying to say that prayer is more important than fasting. Remember, Jesus taught us how to pray, but he also said, when you fast. So it's not one or the other, it's both together. Prayer. The best part of prayer is not based upon our words or our thoughts or anything we do. The best prayer is attained when we lay down all of us and take upon us, all of him. I feel like I'm still rhyming. <laughs> Let me say that again. The best prayer is not based on your words or your actions or your thoughts. 
The best prayer is attained when we lay down all of us and take upon us all of him. That's prayer. Benny Hinn shared a secret that he discovered over the years, and he calls it the three realms of prayer. In it, he cites the correlation between the layout of the Old Testament tabernacle and the instructions Jesus gave in Matthew 7 about ask, seek, and knock. And I want to share that as a, as a guideline today, and I want to build upon it. I trust that this will bring truth and expose any excuses of, about prayer or the lack thereof. So turn with me in your Bible over to Exodus 24. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, and I'll try not to still sound like I'm rhyming. I don't know. <laughs> Shake it off. I'm wandering thoughts. Exodus chapter 24. I'm going to be reading to you out of the New International Version. Acts chapter 24, starting with verse 1. I'm sorry, Exodus. Did I say Acts? Okay, no. We're in the beginning. Exodus. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, this guy and that guy, and the 70 other elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses, Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls. The other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, this guy and that guy, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, or I think it says lapis lazuli, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites, that saw God, and they ate and they drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of snow, stone and the law and the commands I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are here with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days 
and 40 nights. Then over the next three chapters, God begins to unfold to Moses the plan of building the tabernacle, its furnishing, and all its requirements. And what I did for you is I got a picture of the tabernacle. If you can put that up for me. If you've never seen this before, here it is. It's laid out for you. Um, That first little part you see there, it says the altar of burnt offerings. That's where the sacrifices were made. And then on back there, under the coverings, there's the first place, which is called the holy place. It had in it a table with the bread on it, the lampstand, the altar of incense. And then behind the next curtain is called the most holy place, or the holy of holies place. And what I want to do is draw this correlation between that ask, seek, and knock, and those three places that we're going to look at today. When I say ask, seek, and knock, it's at Matthew 7, 7 through 8 that says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. So the first realm we're going to look at is the realm called sacrifice. It's when we ask. That's where we ask. In the layout of the tabernacle, the first thing you come to as you enter his courts is the altar of sacrifice. It's also known as the bronze altar or the altar of burnt offerings. This is the first realm of prayer where we ask. This is where all the prayer list comes from. This is where our wants, our petitions, our intercession, asking, asking, asking. You notice when you start praying, the first thing you start doing is asking? That's the first realm. It's coming right up to that first fire, that first altar of sacrifice. I propose to you today, though, that this is also where the blood must be applied before obedience can bring God's blessings, and I'm going to show you why. The blood must be applied before obedience can bring God's blessings. We read early in verse 6 through 8, it says, Moses took half the blood and put it in the bowls, The other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant and the Lord that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The word and obedience went together. The blood and obedience has to go together. The Full Life Study Bible says it this way, the blood signified cleansing and forgiveness made possible by means of a life sacrifice to God. A life sacrifice to God opened the way to reconciliation with God and the people's obedience that comes from faith. The ultimate significance of the blood of the covenant was realized when Christ shed his blood on the cross and established the new covenant. His sacrificial death cleanses believers from sin, and then they can seek to walk in the way of holiness. Obedience and blood must always be joined together to validate God's acceptance of his people and their consecration to him. Only after the people pledged to obey God through the atoning blood could they participate in the covenant blessings. In a similar vein, the Apostle Peter states that we are chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood in 1 Peter 1 and 2. 
Again, blood and obedience must be joined together to initiate God's blessings on his people. I believe that that altar also, because it's called the altar of burnt offering, also called the altar of sacrifice, has to be an altar of ourselves. When we come to that altar, we must apply that blood of that new covenant, what Christ did for us. We must forgive us. God, we ask that you forgive us, forgive us, forgive, uh, you know. We are wretched sinners, right? We are. But the minute we step up to his atoning sacrifice, we are saints, covered by his blood, forgiven, washed, clean. That's what we need. That's the first thing we need to do is enter there. Some people say, you know what? It's already been done. The sacrifice has been done. I'm going to go around this way and go right into the Holy of Holies. It can't happen. It can't happen. You can't get to the Holy of Holies until you first meet that altar. And it's at that altar, like in Romans 12, 1 says, that I therefore urge you, brothers and sisters, in light of God's mercies, to present yourself, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. It says holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true and proper worship. You can't even worship God until you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You have to meet that altar of sacrifice. You have to first go there and apply that blood. Wash me clean. I, I know I'm a sinner. Remember the tax collector that was beaten on his chest, heading up to God in prayer, saying, I'm a lowly sinner. I'm no good, but God, you are good. You are great. You died for me. Your blood cleanses me. And now I offer myself a living sacrifice to you, holy and pleasing. Once you apply the blood that Jesus shed to establish the new covenant and all the provisions he purchased, you must offer yourself as a living sacrifice to be able to obey all that Jesus commanded. That's the only way you can. You can't do it on your own, and if you try, you will fail. Think of it. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the ones that kept the law, he called whitewashed tombs. Who do you think you are? If they can't keep the law and make it, why do we think we can? We have to meet that altar of sacrifice. We have to apply his blood, his provision, and then offer ourselves as that living sacrifice. Then fellowship with God is possible. Verse 9 and 11 that we read, Moses and Aaron and those two guys and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like pavement made of that lapis lazuli, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God. You want to see God? You have to hit that altar first. You have to attain that provision that Jesus, you, have, you can't go around it and say, well, I just want to sit here in my seat and God, you come to me. Again, the, 
majority of all Christians enter into this first realm if they pray at all. I mean, think about it. If you ask somebody to really explain your, your prayer, what, what's you, what do you do in your time of prayer? They will describe everything in this first realm, everything that just comes to this first altar. If you look at that courtyard, demons aren't scared of that courtyard. Devils aren't scared of that courtyard. The world's not even scared of that courtyard. Anybody can come into that courtyard. A lot of Christians come when they even come, most of them just come into the courtyard. I've done enough time. I'm out of here. Right? Once a week, I'll just peek through here, enter in. Yay, hallelujah. Okay, I'm done. The ones who actually step into the first realm come up to the altar, the sacrifice, and start applying the blood. And Jesus, thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for all your provisions. And God, right now, I offer myself as a living, holy sacrifice to you, pleasing. God, this is my true form of worship. Okay, that's about enough. Got to go. Oh, wait a minute. I have some things to ask for. Here's my prayer list. I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want. Break. Time to go. Demons aren't scared of that. They're not, bonds are not broken. Now, let me be careful because the blood of Jesus covers everything. There's power in the name of Jesus. But when you just walk up and toss your prayer lists at that altar, like it's a, I don't know, some people have said like the vending machine. I put my dollar in, I push the right buttons, and out drops, supposed to be my answer, my prayer, my way, then I can go. That first realm isn't what Jesus died for. That's just to get you into the second realm and then into the third realm. He had to die so you could go into the most holy place and then into the holy of holies. And God even said, because Jesus died here so that you could come in here, God himself, who resides in the holy of holies, remember, on the atonement, he said, I'll meet you here on this mercy seat. This is where I'll speak to you. He says, you know what? No more is there going to be a curtain here. And from top to bottom, he, God, ripped it open. But he doesn't say, Oh, here comes um, brother so-and-so in the courtyard. I'm going to go meet him. No, he says, come in. He stays here, and he begs you, come in. I've made the way, but you have to come in. But see, too many people say, when they call themselves Christians, they say, Jesus, I want all of you. Here I am, a living, holy sacrifice. Now, God, you follow me. Let's go. When Jesus went looking for his disciples, when he went down by the Sea of Galilee, did he look at them and say, I'm going to stay here and follow you now. You want to be my disciple? I'm going to follow you. No, he said, you, follow me. When God in the Holy of Holies offered his one and only son as the sacrifice so you could come into the most holy place, he sits inside the Holy of Holies and said, forget this curtain. 
rip this curtain back. I want them to come in. He says, come, follow me. But too many Christians are just hanging out in the courtyard saying, you know what, this is close enough. So close enough, and I'm going to toss my prayer list at that altar, and yes, Lord, I need forgiveness. Here, just sprinkle the blood on me, and I'm out. That's not abundant living. That's not Christian living. That's not why God sent his son to die. That's not the provision he has for you. Blood and obedience must be joined together to initiate God's blessings on his people. Let me, let me help you understand something. Too many Christians are battling with too many tormenting things and wondering why. This is it. Blood and obedience has to be joined together in order for it to initiate God's blessings. See, we want to stand on the outermost parts of the courts and receive the blessings of the Holy of Holies. And he said, no, come in here. Come in here. This is where the blessings are. You have to come, come in closer. Come in closer. Then... Listen, in verse 12, Moses said, Then he heard, come up to me. Sit here with me, and I will give you my instructions. See, once he made the covenant, once he took the blood, put it on the people, and said, okay, obedience, they said, we'll do it, we'll listen, we'll do everything. Blood and obedience went together. Then he heard God say, come up here to me. And he entered into the second realm, the holy place. This is where we seek. This is where we seek God. The layout of the tabernacle, the holy place, was the first enclosed area that housed the bread, the incense, and the lamp. And I don't have time to go through a great big study on the tabernacle. You should. You really should. Because it is a, a, it's a type of what's in heaven. It's a type of what we have been placed inside us, and that's what I'm trying to show you today, that, that entering in, that holy of holies, that place that we can get to. But in that, in the holy place, the bread is called the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence. It was placed on the table which represented the Lord's presence that sustained Israel in life. It points to Jesus as the bread of life broken for us. The incense, the burning incense, symbolized the continual worship of prayers of God's people. It set an atmosphere. I love burning incense, or I, I take some of Anna's oil. She makes these little, what are those things called, um, essential oils? She's got one that she mixed up, and I think it's called... Um, Oh, dear Lord, now I don't even remember. Anyway, something about, I don't know. Anyway, I love it. It's got frankincense in it. I always put that on my little plug-in thing so it fills my bedroom while I'm getting ready so when I'm ready to pray, it's already filled with that. I, I don't know. Hmm? I don't remember which one it was. I think it's called, it. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but it's already there, the, the, 
Yeah, the, the atmosphere's already set. The burning incense, the continual worship. And it, the lamp is in there. The burning light symbolizes God's continual presence among the people. The congregation of Israel was to be filled with the light, life and presence of God. Notice that the lamps also would not be kept burning without the people's cooperation and obedience to doing it. They had to keep it lit. They had to work to keep it lit. It's here in this holy place that we must seek the presence of God as our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. The light within us and through us and the very fragrance of heaven upon us. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. And to the other, an aroma that brings life. We actually are carriers of the fragrance of heaven when we've spent time in this holy place. When you leave, you carry that fragrance with you. So you, not, you might not even say a word to somebody, a, cash, a cashier. You walk up, and next thing you know, they're just telling you their whole life story, and they start crying, and I don't know what I'm going to do. What is that? It's that aroma of heaven. It's that anointing fragrance of heaven, of God's presence with you. That's where you get that in that holy place. And the holy place is where we wait for God's presence. You can't rush God's presence. You have to wait for him. Moses waited, it said, six days. Six days. It doesn't say what he was doing at that time either. I wonder if he was going through the whole thing, trying to, Conjure up God. <laughs> Come on, I know you called me up here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Lord, I'm here. I'm here. Six days before God on the seventh day said, okay, now come up farther. See, we can't rush God's presence. We wait for God's presence. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They that wait upon the Lord. You wonder why your life is so busy and you feel like you're running on empty all the time because you're running in, throwing your prayer list on the sacrifice, throwing your hands up in the court a little bit and running right back out again. Those that wait, wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. There's no more prayer list here. I'll tell you, once you pass, if you're at that altar, you've applied the blood, 
You've offered yourself as a living sacrifice, and you're just there. You're just worshiping, and you feel like you're just worshiping. You, and all of a sudden, you hear God's voice say, Psst, come here. Come closer. And you step into that holy place, and now you're surrounded by the bread of the presence, the lamp, the light of God. You smell the aroma of heaven, and he says, now just wait here with me. All of a sudden, everything else just kind of falls away. There's no more prayer list there. There's no more wants, no more needs. Like Amy sang this morning, Christ, you're all I need now. What was I asking for? You're my everything. This is it. This is it. Just leave me here. Six days. <laughs> leave me here. This is it. I smell the very aroma of heaven, God's light, the bread that will sustain me every day. This is where we wait. We seek his face, his glory, his provision, his, 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 everything. And then all of a sudden we hear his voice again. Psst, come here. Deeper, there's one more. I can get you closer. Remember in verse 15 and 16, when Moses went up on the mountain, so the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled down Mount Sinai. For six days that cloud covered that mountain, but on the seventh day he heard the Lord speak again, saying, come on up. And Moses stepped up into that cloud. Here's the third realm, the holy of holies. This is where we knock. This is where we knock. See, we're in that holy place, and we're smelling the very aroma of heaven. See, we're seeing God's light. We're tasting of Jesus, the very bread that we need. And then we realize, oh, there's a door. There's a door. There's more. And so we go over on that door, and we start knocking. Jesus, you must be on the other side, I need more of you. I need more of you. And he said, knock and keep knocking. Knock and keep knocking. More, more, Lord. I need more. The Holy of Holies was the sacred, the sacred, secret place it's called, of the most holy. It's here that God is dwelling and it's here where he calls us to come and dwell with him Moses entered that cloud and when he went up in there he stayed for 40 days and 40 nights dwelling with God I want to read to you in Psalm 91 this is dwelling with God Psalm 91 Starts in verse 1 with, he who dwells in the secret place. You want to know what happens when you go in the secret place, the holy of holies? Here it is, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not 
fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If, if you make the Most High your dwelling place, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent because he loves me, because he has set his love upon me, because we have set God as our focus, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges he knows my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's what's waiting for you in the holy of holies. But it has to be a place where you dwell. It's not a place you visit. You can't visit once a week. You have to dwell. When you make the secret place your dwelling place, your dwelling place, ask, seek, knock, then the door will be opened. Jesus said in John 10, 7 through 10, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, Jesus said. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That abundant life I described in Psalm 91 comes only when you walk through the door and make the most holy of holies your dwelling place. And that doesn't come in a couple minutes on a Sunday. A dwelling place. Moses spent six days in the most holy place before he finally heard God say, come on, I've got more. Step into the holy of holies. You must come to the altar of sacrifice, enter into the most holy place, and wait for God to call you into the holy of holies, and then make that your dwelling place. This is where you'll find rest, deliverance, safety, protection. God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Because he has set his love upon me, I will rescue him, says God. He will call upon me and I will answer. 
you see what happens and of course I, I know that I'm just telling you sharing my experience with you is when we come into the courts we're consumed with us when we come up to the altar we're even consumed with us there because where does all your prayer requests come from me God, I need this. God, I need that. God, I need this. God, I need that. God, I'm a wretched sinner. God, I'm worthless. I'm horrible. I'm awful. You heard what I said to my husband last night, you know? It's all us, 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 us. And we, then when we get up and walk away and we wonder, why are we still battling with the same thing? It's always the same thing. It's always the same thing. He, all the provision, all the blessing... Every, everything you need is in the Holy of Holies waiting for you. But God says, I'm not following you. I said, you follow me. But it takes a sacrifice. See, we want to step up to that altar. We want to apply that blood, but I don't want to get on that altar. Mm, that's going to hurt. I mean, I'll come to church. I'll sit in the seat. And I'll receive all you have for me, God. But don't ask me to come up to that altar. We arrogantly sit in our seats and say, God, you come to me if you're real. Oh, Brent, I wouldn't say that. You're doing it. The three realms of prayer, ask at the altar of sacrifice, once you apply that blood Jesus shed to establish the new covenant, all the provisions he purchased, we must offer ourselves as that living sacrifice because blood must be joined with obedience in order to go in any farther. Then we seek God's presence in the most holy place. It's here that we wait, wait, and wait because you know what's happening? All us is getting stripped away. And again, like Amy's song, you're all I need. What was I thinking? It's you. This is it. You're, you're the bread of life. You're the light I need in this dark world. The very fragrance of heaven now rests upon me if I just stand here and wait. But that's not all. He said, not. Jesus said, I'm the door. You want some more? Oh, I'm still rhyming. Lord, help me. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm the door. Knock. Come on in. Knock. But don't give up. Don't get weary. Keep knocking. Keep knocking. Until you hear God say, come on. It's I know I'm kind of childlike in my thinking. And I have to see, I th see things. I have to see things in my mind. And I like seeing God sitting on his throne. And I'm coming into the outer courts and I'm letting it all go and just, just shaking it all off like Amy said. Shake it off, shake it off. Come up to that altar. I'm applying it. God, I'm, I'm so stupid at times, you know. I'm so stupid at times. You, you gave me everything. You did everything for me. And I just, accept. right now, God, just forgive me and apply that. And here I am, God, all of me. You have all of me. And then, and then I actually could almost see God saying, excuse me, Michael, can you move over? Wait a minute. Yeah, she's got some wandering thoughts, but I hear her heart. Hey, psst, come on, a little bit closer. 
And then I hear God say a little bit closer, oh, here I go. I'm coming in. And then I step into that holy place, and you really do feel like it's thick. And you start smelling something. There's something about this place. It's God. I don't feel like I need anything when I'm here. And again, I can, I can just see God sitting on his throne saying, uh, Gabriel, watch out, watch out, man. I, you hear that? It's her heart. I don't hear anything else. I just hear her. Okay, come on, a little bit closer, because this is where I want you to dwell. Because you know what? In that place where it was nice and thick and I was just resting and thinking, this is it. <laughs> The holy place, I, I, this is it. I started getting real quiet, real thick. And then I saw that door. Must be more. And in my prayer, even this morning, I just, I didn't, because I, I was afraid I was going to scare somebody, but I wanted to scream out, Jesus! More! More. More of what? More of him. Him. He has more. And he said, do it. Knock. Knock. And then when we get in there, that's when we will finally live that abundant life that God gave his son for us to have. When we set our love upon him, when we make that secret place our dwelling place, that's the three realms of prayer. That's only point one. Are you ready for point two? Fasting. Remember, it has to go together. And I can't teach you about fasting without using Isaiah 58. Turn in your Bible. Isaiah 58. I've read this. I couldn't even tell you how many times. I studied it. Restudied it. I've taken classes on the scripture. I've read books and more books and books and more books and podcasts and listened to messages about fasting over and over and over again. But something hit me this time because it's the living word of God. Active. And in verse 1 it says, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. See, I should have yelled in the prayer room. Sorry. Listen, it says, declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. That's my job. It is really the job, the calling of the pastors to point this out. It's the job of a parent to point out when their child is doing something wrong. Because how can you say you love that child if you're letting them do something wrong that's going to hurt them? Or help them to hurt somebody else. It's my job. Pastors are commanded to point out hypocrisy. My people cry out to me, but they don't really follow me. Because he goes on to say in verse 2, For day after day they seek me out. They come into my courts. They seem eager to know me, as if they were a nation that does what is right. 
and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. See, God to come near them. And then they cry out in verse 3, Oh, why are we even fasting? They say, And you haven't even seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Look at us, God. Again, God, come here and look at me. God's people were complaining that he would not help them, but God knew that their worship and fasting was hypocritical. He tells them that no religious act has any value to him if it does not come from those with humble hearts, those who put their love on him, those that go into him, those that follow him. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling. Sometimes it begins in quarrelings and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Here it is again. Let me show you in these next few verses. That sacrifice and obedience, that blood and obedience have to go together to enter in. Let me show you here. Verse 6. Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. This is for you. This is the sacrifice for you. This is talking about what's happening in your life. The chains of injustice, the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, the offenses that you take, the unforgiveness that you harbor, the things that have been done to you that you have assured yourself you're the victim of or the things that other people have done to you that you're pointing out you are now on my hook you owe me because of what you did that's what these verses are talking about this is the sacrifice these this is for you to loose the chains of injustice to untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed you have been keeping people in bondage over things that they've done or things that you assumed that they did. And this is the fast that he's chosen for you to let it all go. Break it all off. Let it all go. Let those people out of the cages. You've kept them locked in. Then he goes on. Is it not to share your food? Now we're talking about others. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, because nobody wants to see them naked. Not to turn away from your own flesh 
and blood. Now we can turn to others. Once we let go of everything that has kept us in bondage and we put other people in bondage over unforgiveness, over uh, offenses, over things that have happened or not ha- or you just presumed happened. Sometimes you've locked somebody in your mind as a, they did something wrong and they didn't. You just think they did. And that was good enough. But once we let all that go and shake it off, now we can meet the needs of others. God says, first shake it off here. Now go meet the needs of others. And he says, uh, then, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. You wonder why you're a Christian and you're sick for so long? Who are you still holding on to? What bitterness, what unforgiveness, what what offense are you still holding on to? Then means something has to happen first. You have to let all that go first. Don't pick it up again. Let it all go. Then start meeting other people's needs. See, he says, get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off your thing. I heard over and over again, because I I research more and more miracles and, and how it happens and what people have to go through. And even, uh, I think it was Catherine Coleman said, when I can get their eyes off their problem and onto Jesus, then their healing can come. But most people are so focused on their, their sickness or their problem or the unforgiveness or the bitterness, the thing that somebody, somebody did to them so long ago or whatever, they can't receive their healing. He said, then... Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will come quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I like that. He's got my back. He's got my back. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will surely say, here I am. Then. Do away. Let me read just a little bit more. It says, if you do away with the yoke of oppression. I would like to insert the yoke of offense. Because every bitterness, every unforgiveness is an offense. Do away. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger And the malicious talk. There it is again. You need to sacrifice that. You need to do away with the yoke of oppression. You need to do away with the pointing finger and the malicious talk. Here it is. Now we're going to look at others. And if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise. And he goes through it again. Then your healing will come. Then righteousness will break forth. Then you'll call for the Lord and he'll answer. Then. When there is true love for God and sincere, sincere concern for the welfare of others, a channel is open for God's full blessing to come into our lives. The pathway is already open for you to come into the Holy of Holies. But you can't sit there in your chair and say, God, follow me. He said, I've laid a certain path for you. I'm right here. 
I'm right here. Do away with that. Do, do away with that offense. Do away with that. On for, over there at the altar of sacrifice, lay that all down over there. Take upon you my yoke. Take upon me the provision that Jesus sacrificed for. And then, come on, a little closer. Come on, a little closer. And then your light will break forth. Then your healing will come. So types of fasting, you can fast just about anything. You can fast food, you can fast certain foods. You can fast entertainment, you can fast TV, you can fast Facebook. <laughs> you can fast your phone and you won't die. Matter of fact, when I, we've got the last two boys in our house that we're raising, thank you Jesus, we're not going to bring in anymore. The last two, when we was teaching them how to fast and how you, you know, get with God and, and find out, and they're like, I don't hear nothing. You know, kids are so honest. I'm like, what's God telling you to fast? Nothing. Oh, no, honey, he's telling you to fast something. I simply prod them with this question. What's most important in your heart? Oh, God. I said, you liar. <laughs> I said, think through your day. What consumes most your day? Really? When you lay it out that way, and no, honey, I'm sorry, you can't fast work. You're like, boss, my pastor told me, boss, man, you're what I spend most of my days with. I'm going to fast work, and, but you still have to pay me. No. What do you, <laughs> what is your day outside of your work consumed with most? That would be a good start. Start by offering that to God. But remember, it's not about what you go without, okay? That's not it. It's not about you going without and then thinking about that. There's my phone. Oh, there's my phone. I love it how people, and I'm sorry if you're one of these. I don't mean to offend you. If you take offense, you're sinning. You need to go back to the older. Anyway, <laughs> I love the people who fast Facebook, but they make the declaration on Facebook. I'm going to be fasting Facebook. Click, 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 click. So if you try to contact me, click, 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 click through Facebook, text me instead. <laughs> what? No, come on. For one thing, he said, when you fast, don't tell anybody. Because if you do, giddy up, there's your reward. You got it all. Have fun with that. It's not going to accomplish anything. So you're just going to go without. Do you want to go without or do you want to go in with God? I want to go in. So fasting, whatever you choose between you and God, I'm just giving you some ideas What's most important sometimes and uh, consumes most are, might be a good start for you to lay down. Don't tell people. Just lay it down. Now, in our family, the four of us, because, well, hello, we spend time together, we do let each other know. Because mama's got to cook the meals. So if you choose to fast desserts, which the boys, they do eat a lot of desserts. So that usually is their go-to. It's either... Uh, video games or desserts, which are two of their most important, which is good. Hey, 
I want to see them do both at the same time. Anyway, but they let us know. So, because I'm not going to then bake a cake that, you know, week if they're fasting desserts. That's just not fair. All right? Well, if we all decide that we were going to do fruits and vegetables a Daniel fast, then I know I'm not going to, you know, fry a steak that night. Okay? So we do sit down and we do talk to each other. So I do encourage you, if you live in a house with other people that you share meals with, talk to them. Not in a, hey, I'm going to fast. And then this is another thing that we've set a rule in our house. We don't point at each other. Like, I don't want to give permission to anybody, but in, for me, if I'm doing a Daniel fast, there's no sin in a little dressing on my salad. Now, I'm not going to have a little salad with my dressing. But, I mean, we actually lived in a, in a time in our growth, in our Christian walk, where we went around, and we at one time had 12 people in our house pointing, there's sugar in that dressing. If you're fasting sugar, you shouldn't be eating that. Like, what? Now I'm feeling condemned. Oh, God. Horrible. So don't point fingers. If you share in a house... Share what you're going to fast so that they can respect that. But then don't go around and point fingers. Oh, you're doing fruits and vegetables, but you're laying butter on that? It's vegetable oil, isn't it? It's a vegetable. Okay. Don't point fingers. So it doesn't matter what, what you fast. As a matter of fact, I think you even told me that there's a negativity fast. I like that. I actually did. I didn't even know that it was an actual fast. I just tried, I had found myself complaining a lot, and I don't like that. I'm not a pessimist. I am an optimist, really. I think every Christian should be, where we always look at the good in things. We always want to see the best in things. So when I heard myself, I'm like, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just, you know, for one week, not a negative word's coming out of my mouth, and I'll tell you, every second one wanted to come out. Mm. Especially when I got behind the wheel. Mm. 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 Sorry for you listening on the podcast. I'm giving them the hand. Get out of my way. No, I'm just, who gave you your license? No. <laughs> what state are you from? No, I didn't. Anyway, negativity, complaining. Try one of those fasts for a week. Could you imagine what your spouse would feel like they're on, you know, cloud nine? Is that cloud seven? I don't know. Nine would be better. Seven, nine. To hear you only say good things for one week. <sighs> Here's one more word about that. <laughs> yeah, don't just dream about it. John Maxwell said, anytime a person has an axe to grind, the words of others are drowned out by the sound of that grindstone. That's why you have to leave it at that altar. Then start hearing others and meeting their needs. But you can't hear and meet their needs if you've got an axe to grind, if you're still holding on to those. So whatever you choose to fast, just remember it's not about going without. It's about focusing on God. Use that time that you would have picked up your phone, looked on Facebook, set on the video games, eaten your big meal, whatever it is, and focus on God and get in there. Find that time, spend that time, that place, that holy place, and then that holy of holies. Pray for with a vision, and then I'm wrapping up right here. Pray with a vision. 
have a purpose. You are getting an audience with the king. If somebody was preparing you an audience with the king, would you come without an agenda? Why do you want to, wouldn't that be his first words? What do, what do you come to see me for? Come with a vision. And now I'm not talking about your prayer list because you're going to lay those down on that first altar. I'm talking about your heart of hearts when you get in there. Your heart to be joined with his heart. That's the vision. You want to be able to, and, and I hate to even say leave that holy of holies. You want to be in that place all the time. You want to dwell in that place. But when you go to the grocery store, that your heart is beating with his heart, his vision, his compassion, that's praying and fasting. I want to get your heart, God. I'm fasting this week to get your heart, God. I'm praying this day, every day, for your heart, God. Do you know it? Oh, that. I'll tell you in just a second here. Practical helps. I'm closing. Number one, be motivated by grace, not religion. It's not a checkbox. I did this. I read my chapter today. I prayed for two minutes, spent 58 minutes trying to focus my thoughts, but I spent that time in prayer. I fasted. I'm done. It's not a checklist. Be motivated by grace. I'm doing it to get your heart, God. Have realistic expectations. <laughs> I, I, uh, anyway, I'm not going there. Offer him the best part of your day, okay? The best part you sacrifice. The best part you sow. The first fruits you sow. And do it. No more excuses. Understand it takes 30 days to form a new habit and to break an old one. 30 days. You can't rush God. He said, wait. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Find out what works with you and for you and stick with it as far as prayer. Use a variety or a combination of things, a different translation of the Bible, uh, some essential oils to fill up your bedroom or your room where you pray to just help you into that. Find a music that you can play, you know, that will help you enter in. Forget about yourself to help those wandering thoughts. But don't be defeated. Let me just say this. God, when he sees your heart and he's calling you on, can you imagine, don't wallow in your self-pity. We all screw up. God knows that. He made us. We all mess up. So when you come to that altar and you ask for forgiveness, he throws it as far as the east is from the west. It says he throws it into a sea of forgetfulness. So you're still wallowing around. I'm awful. I'm a worm. I'm horrible. And he's saying, you are my creation. I created you, and you don't like what I created? Why are you laying there? Did you ask for forgiveness? I just got spanked on this the other day. I had done something wrong. I knew it was foolish. It wasn't really sin. It was just foolish. It was a foolish choice I made. 
And all night, I'm like, God, I'm so sorry. That was so stupid. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did? And I went to bed, and I remember laying in bed thinking, why, 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 God, I'm so sorry. Why, why, why? And I woke up, and I heard him clear as day said, would you just drop it? I'm like, what? He's like, you already asked forgiveness. Stop talking about it. I'm like, yeah. What am I doing? That's upsetting. I've had to correct my own kids where it's, they're still walking around half the day looking like I just murdered their little puppy. I'm like, we punished you over here. We disciplined you over here. We took care of it. You've you done the time for the crime. It's done. It's here. Why are you still bringing that in here? We took care of that. We do the same thing. We roll around that altar and we just want to stay there wallowing in the mud. And he says, what? What did you do? Did you ask for, I don't even remember it anymore. So don't beat yourself up thinking that you don't have access. It's already been purchased. So let me just close. I know I keep saying, don't a pastor get three closing? (laughs) Five, 10, 15, 20. All right, I got lots more done. So let's just close today by doing this. Number one, I want you to come to the altar. Amy or Crystal or whoever I have left. Nobody, okay. (laughs) You don't need music. Come to the altar of sacrifice. Take upon, ask for forgiveness. Take that blood upon you. Offer yourself as that living sacrifice and then wait for God to call you in because he's got so much more for you. So right now, let's just stand where we're at. Father, we just thank you for your word, for your truth today. God, you make make these profound mysteries of heaven so simple if we will just look, if we'll just listen. And God, right now, we just want to focus our attention 